Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, what's up? Amir Ryder here with another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. I got my guest, CEO and founder of The Selling Factory, Brad Gamble. Brad, what's up, man? How are you? Great to see you again, Amir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I believe that me and you have been connected through social media for about a year or two years and uh, had the opportunity to chat last week. So I'm looking forward to this episode because I know you have tons of experience uh, and we were we were getting into that call. So I appreciate you you jumping in today, and especially on our live format, man. Of course. Anytime. So so before I get started, I love I love asking the, my guests um, how they got into the, the lovely business of uh, generating millions of dollars of value for other companies and being in the sales agency. What's the what's the story? What's the path, man? How did you uh, how did you get here? Yeah. So when I uh, when I graduated college, I started working for an energy company uh, based in Gainesville, Florida, where I am currently today. And I got thrusted right into sales. I was a, a inside sales rep and then became an inside sales manager. And then for the last eight of the 15 years I was there, I was the vice president of sales and marketing. And we had a really large inside sales presence. So uh, I left in 2014 from, uh, that, uh, from that industry and really just uh, got on the other side of the fence. So I was the one that had the internal sales teams had some field reps. Uh, we probably had about 75 to 80 inside sales reps at any given time. And we were selling energy. We were selling natural gas and electricity across the country. Uh, so when I left that industry and then got into, when well, we founded this business in 2016, the selling factory, it was now becoming the outsourced option for companies like the one I used to work for. Yeah. That makes sense. I like how you said that you were thrown, you, you, you're, you know, from Gainesville, the University of Florida is there from be listening and you got thrown into sales. I know that now you're doing the same thing to other, other college students, you're throwing them into sales. So, so that's, so you'll talk about that later on, but that, that's awesome. Uh, the idea of the episode and the idea of this whole series in general is just transparency, right? Like we, we have this hypothesis that by talking about the mistakes that buyers make, right? We live in a world where I think we always talk about, you know, all the glorified numbers that we, you know, you open up LinkedIn and you got people posting. I had a hundred phone calls, a hundred meetings, but nobody actually talks about the ROI or down the stream. Right. You know, we have this whole thing where we think we, people can learn by just hearing about the mistakes, right? Like what are like the horror stories that make so that people can uh, try to avoid it. Right. So uh, that's, that's kind of like where, where our focus has been in this episode series. So I'm going to jump into it. Right. Of all the years that, and before I say that people listening on the show, either first time outsourcers, right? Uh, you have a lot of the times people who've done the whole, I've tried this before and it didn't work and they're back, right? Or people that do two tombs. So we, so we have uh, we have, we have everybody listening to uh, listening in on this, all types of buyers and, and sellers. But before, I, before we get into it, what have you seen? What has been a repeating theme with buyers on a, on a search for a sales agency, a mistake that they make that affects not your ability to convert them as a customer, but affects their results ultimately right? they're, by their, they're, they're either choosing the wrong agency, right? And this, you know, what happens, that happens. What, what do you see over and over again? What's a mistake that comes to mind? So I think that a, a common mistake that, uh, that, that we've seen, that I've seen in our business, uh, it's when companies think that a outsourced sales agency is the magic elixir, or they have the secret sauce that is going to really grow their pipeline, grow their sales ultimately. 
uh, it's, I mean, we're in the people business. We have people working for us. We, that are doing this, these types of activities, whether it's getting on the phone it's sending messages, it's building rapport, it's trying to warm up leads to get them to the top of the funnel. Well, if, if, if it hasn't proven to work internally at a company, then just by hiring an outsourcer doesn't mean it automatically is going to be just, you're going to be raining leads left and right. That's probably the biggest one I've seen. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and for anyone listening, I think it's probably like a good analogy of like, you know, just because, just because I now have the budget to pay for a gym membership and pay for a trainer does not mean that I don't have to eat a healthy diet. Right. And do my part. So it's like, kind of like, you know, I feel like it's that analogy where it's like a, buyers believe that now that they're ready to outsource, now that they have the budget, that that's what it's going to take to get results. But the reality is, is that budget and a decision to hire an outsource company is just the beginning, right? And it's it's more about being prepared to work with a company. Do you think that buyers who buy that way are training sales agencies to give them what they want to hear to win their business, which ultimately leads to churn? Like, because they don't want to hear you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to communicate with us that we're that behavior ultimately trains other agencies to say, yeah, you pay us and we'll get you 50 meetings per month. One, is that like a, a result of that buying habit? Yeah, we, I, I made this mistake early on when we launched the company, any company that would reach out to us or I reached out to and anything they wanted, I said, yes, yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. Yes. I'll, we'll figure it out later. But we're, we'll, they're willing to pay us money to help them grow their business. Absolutely. And it's, our company was at a different stage back then. You know, we were trying to grow revenue, grow our client base. And over the past six years, we've really honed in on transparency and really understanding the position that those companies are in. And I mean, questions like, are you, are you already doing this internally? Do you have a framework? Do you have scripting? Do you have uh, an, a marketing engine that's driving, driving inbounds? Are you producing content? All these things are now really ways that I'm picking apart an opportunity to see if it's going to be a good fit for us. And more times than not, uh, now fast forward six years, more times than not, I'm saying, look, don't spend money with us. If this is if this is what your expectation is, uh, we are not going to be a good fit. Here's some other agencies that might be a good fit. Or let's talk about other ways where you could spend this budget that you have to get you to that result. It might not be through cold calling or other tactics that we're using. So transparency is huge. And after six years, we've really learned that saying no is oftentimes better than saying yes to somebody. Well, I love that answer because it was almost, uh, it, it, you know, when you answered that question, it was almost a reflection on, well, of, of your journey as being a business owner, right? So it's kind of like also self-identifying that this this any it's the same thing as the buyers that hire us right where they tend to say yes the same way the sales agency will say yes and and if we're not saying if if we got these check boxes and we're looking for 90 percent to be checked it's that discipline if you're at 88 percent to say this is not right for you right it's kind of like a, a shuttle launch it does not take off if there's a storm cloud 20 miles away right um which is good because i think i think that hearing this i think there's a lot you know a lot of the times that sales agencies grow and they grow fast and they're profitable companies, right? Like, like we, we're profitable companies. Sometimes we're helping companies that cash flow negative, but I think a lot of sellers can, uh, buyers can learn from your own stories of growing, right? Cause I think there's all these principles that are just common within any, any industry and saying no and not getting out of what we call scope creep, which is getting out of what you do best 
is a really important thing. I think there was a stat that was out there that I came across that, that said that people will measure you on the things you don't do well, right? Like, you know, if you say, hey, yeah, we have a rep that covers the night and weekends, and then you try to do that, you could do everything else great. But that one time that rep doesn't show in, they'll measure you on that, right? Um, so well, and also, and also there's an authenticity gap there too that can be created. So when you think about it, if you're in a buying situation and the salesperson is saying yes to everything that you're asking them, that starts to erode trust because realistically, you're not going to be great at everything. So I think that just it, there, there's um, uh, it, when that when that when you're staying authentic, when you're when there's trust being built in that the early stages of trying to assess whether or not this agency is a good fit for a company, that goes so much further. Um, even if it's not a good fit, because then and we've seen this down the line, there's somebody that we agreed wasn't a good fit a year ago, but they've referred three customers to us that are a good fit. Yeah. Uh, so th it's huge. Uh, it really is. I, I agree with you. Um, do, do you recommend that buyers who are, are considering outsource, do you recommend that they, they focus more on the, like, do, do you think they should, where do they, where should they go to find the stuff, right? Like where, if you were a buyer, who would you be following? Yeah. Like who would you be, what, what content should you be absorbing to, to prepare yourself for these mistakes? I feel like no one's talking about it. Right. Yeah, it's almost like you want you want you want to find those those content producers that are talking about all the bad stuff and not just the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know you, you know it's it's definitely you, you want to see where the pitfalls are and uh, and 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 something as simple as assessing the cost of building a team internally versus outsourcing it. I mean that's a big one that I see that that you know sales managers or, or revenue leaders or whether it's on the HR side. You're starting to assess, okay, what is the true cost of fielding an internal SDR team? Well, okay, we're gonna the our our reps are gonna be making forty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars a year. We'll have ten of them. Well, that means it's four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, we know that's not the case. I mean, it's probably twice that. Then you got you got turnover, you got training, you got ramp up. So little things like that. You want you want to read about the stuff and follow the people that are posting those kind of things, not just we crushed it for this customer. We 4x their pipeline in six months this is so easy to do yeah back to what you're saying do you think that that cfos should be more involved because what we noticed is i've created maybe five years ago and i i got attached it to the podcast and share it was it was a spreadsheet that had people actually calculate the true costs right like what are your softwares your emails right your managers your hiring your firing your 941 tax which is seven percent but what i've noticed is that no one ever used it right and I, I, my whole thing is, are people not using it because VPs of sales are not educated on true costs? Should the CFO be involved? Like, have you, have you, you know, like, yeah, who should be like, that's, you know, because we, we, you know, we're buyers are typically sales leaders, sales leaders, typically they're, they're relationship building guys or go get it. They've been, they've been calling on the phones in their past career. Do you think there's a gap between the financial leaders and the VP of sales really understanding their model? I think now more than ever before. And in my previous career, there was, you know, CFO versus head of sales. Oftentimes, that's an adversarial relationship. Sales wants to spend money. CFO doesn't want to spend money. You know, breaking down to the but but if if CFO, uh, CRO, CEO are all aligned that we want to grow the business but do it the best way possible, well then the head of sales needs to understand the true cost of what they're trying to do. And the CFO needs to understand that in order to grow the business, we have to invest in that. So I think it's a really good point, Amir. And I think nowadays, bringing in the CFO 
uh, into these conversations earlier is really important because you're you're actually going to it might just it might not just be well we think they're going to do a great job and let's just throw a bunch of resources at it well no it actually it makes financial sense to do this versus having an internal team do it yeah one of the things I noticed and maybe you noticed too is that oftentimes buyers they you know internally they'll look to hire somebody with two to three years of VP sales experience thinking they could build a program right. And then that person worked at like Oracle or SAP that had already a big pipeline. It's it's like comparing apples to oranges. Do you notice that people actually don't put on a spreadsheet the value of, of someone like yourself having 10, 15 years of experience and being like, okay, if I actually pull what's in Brad's brains, I'm getting, you know, $700, $800 an hour of consulting in my program. Do you find that buyers miss that opportunity? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, th I think as a business owner or a business leader now, though, you have to be careful not to be pulled into, if this is not your business model, be pulled into a consultative state. Because you, you, the, the company, if they're, buyer, if they're buying the, the teams that you're building for them, well, the teams have to be able to stand on their own. They have to be able to produce. And you can, you can and, and the knowledge that the sales agency leader has should be imparted upon the team and get them to produce more. But you just got to be careful not to fall into the role of, well, I, I'm paying for the services of your team, but I want to pick your brain as somebody who's been doing this for 15 years. And that's where all the only value I'm going to extract from the relationship. Yeah. Stay out of, stay, stay out of scope creep, right? Like, yeah. Don't get pulled in out of scope. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I've noticed that sometimes I spend energy on time, you know, trying to collect a bill from somebody versus like, literally talking to them about their line. I'm like, why don't, why am I doing this versus that? Right. Oh, yeah. uh, talk to me about, you know, cause obviously this is a, the relationship. I have never met a sales agency owner who celebrated a win as getting a customer. Like we know that the celebration is a renewal and an ROI, right? Talk to me about mistakes that buyers make now that they went through the buying process. Everything seemed great. They, they seemed like a great buyer, right? Now they hired you. Talk to me about what mistakes they make now while working with you that affect their ROI. So what you're constantly chasing is uh, that ROI like you're talking about. So if a customer is spending $10,000 a month for a, a team or an individual, well, every month they're paying you $10,000. Let's say four months goes by. Well, that's $40,000 that they've paid. That, that starts ticking up. You start looking, okay, that's, that's now what have we gotten out of that money? And we've had companies that have said, well, I have not received $40,000 in annual rev client revenue, therefore pull the plug. Uh, you really have to get, you really have to be in lockstep with the client understanding their, their true selling cycle. Uh, you know, if you're an enterprise SaaS company, it could be a year. If you're more of a transactional company, maybe a product or service company that's that's more transactional in nature, it might be 30 days. But no, go, going into it, you have to, you both really have to be on the same page on what that outlook looks like, so that you don't default to, well, we didn't pay for you in the sales that our AE team was supposed to close, so therefore we're going to cut off, cut you off. Yeah. I see this all the time and, and yeah. you know, I, like that was the best politically correct answer that, I, I, that, that I've seen in a while, because what you're really saying is know your math, right? Yeah. That's in summer. Anybody listening to this, what Brad is really saying is understand your math. Right. Uh, and I know where he's coming from because I could talk about my own war stories, right? Like I've had people that have told us, Hey, our sales cycles are nine months. And then in month six, they're like, where's the ROI? 
it is absolutely ludicrous to think that your sales cycle can be nine months and then you're going to get a cash flow ROI. And the reason for that, what we think, is that it's simple lack of understanding their math, right? Um, and also, so I, I also have a, an ROI worksheet. I'm going to share it with you too, Brad, so, so the community can start helping people educate it. Uh, I remember clearly, even last year, I had a buyer come back and said to me, uh, Amir, we're looking to outsource again. And I asked them, I go, well, why did you stop outsourcing on the first time? And they said the same thing. They were like, we 10K a month, we were 40K in, we fired the company. And I go, well, well, why are you back here? And they go, well, we just got a call and we had a million dollar deal from that from that uh, that that agency, right? So, and now they're calling me back. Well, they've lost seven months of working. They, they could have had five million dollar deals. So it was it was you know listening to what Brad's saying, just kind of to to add to it. It's like, yes, if you have a check and you can pay the bill, that's great. And if you have a great product with a unique selling proposition, it's been awesome. But we we as as sellers, we need you to go a step further and understand your math because. If we have to talk you off a ledge from understanding how sales works, as far as people seeing your brand awareness, people considering you, if we have to teach you the basics that HubSpot taught us a long time ago with the awareness, consideration, decision, if you are not educated on that, but yet you have $10,000 a month, slow it down and, and, and learn some of the basic stuff because some of this is, is going to take time, right? Like, like I think people always come in and they say, I got a campaign, I want results fast, but they don't ever differentiate the fact that if you are hiring someone like the Selling Factory to target a cold audience that has never heard of your brand in the United States versus <clears throat> perhaps an audience that you just met at a trade show and loved you, right? That's going to have a different cycle. And, and it's like seeds, right? I think people forget that like a cold lead is a seed that needs to be germinated versus a baby tree that is six months away from producing fruit. And, and, and you gotta have your eyes on that because that is a component of an ROI, right? Like we've had customers that came to us that said, hey, Amir, we had 400,000, and this is back in the day, 400,000 lost opportunities, lost prospects. Well, we call that and we got results week one, week two, week three, week four, right? And then you have someone where it's a million dollar deal selling finance as a service, new target, and they want the same thing. So just be aware that you know, when you work with someone like Brad and, and, this, and the selling factory, that they can only do so much in the sense that understanding the true timeline is going to support the agency because if the agency has to spend time talking you down from the ledge, it's less time that they can spend on your sequences, your phone calls, your emails, right? So that's, that's I've seen it all the time, Brad. And, and the cool yeah. part about doing these podcasts is that you, you start seeing a pattern, right? It's the same buying behavior and the same operating behavior that leads to churn. And what churn does is it hurts the pipeline of the company, right? And it affects the whole industry. So it's like, it's not just a, something that affects the sales agencies because, you know, there's nobody in the sales agency world that doesn't come to play, right? Like Brad's an expert. He's been doing sales since he was in college. Um, he wants to win. I, I know that. Um, well, when we get into the next thing, talk to me about who your best customers are. And I know that you work with multiple industries. So I'm going to ask you a question and make you pick one. But when you pick one, it's not saying that you don't serve the other one. It's just to kind of get you the, to hammer in on that 80-20 rule. A software or services? If you can only pick one, who would it be and why? Services. Why? Because typically, and I'm going to throw products in there as well because it's not SaaS. So products and services, typically those lower price point, uh, higher volume, uh, more transactional sales, uh, shorter sale selling cycles, 
those are where we see the most success. Now, half of our business is SaaS, and we've had some incredible SaaS relationships. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you're going to maybe pick one, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say service. Yeah, and listen, anybody listening, you can almost dissect what his answer, right? It's because if you don't know your numbers and you don't know your ROI and you don't truly really deviate, then then seeing the frequency and the transaction, because because Bradley is also thinking about two things. He's thinking about winning your business, keeping your business, right? Getting you an ROI. So that makes sense. Your answer, your answer aligns with some of the problems you talked about, right? Because mm-hmm. this way, and I, I agree with you, right? If people see quick wins, then sometimes it's like, yeah, it's the short-term effect. Like uh, you could take a, a diuretic and pee all the water out. Now you got a six pack, but then you take all, you, know, you get it back on. So it's like the buyer, yeah, buyers, if you're listening, uh, I would beg to differ that if you even know your numbers even better, you'll, you'll get a better ROI. You'll probably be adding ad accounts. Um, what about markets? Maybe you could tell people too about your business model because it's very unique, right? I, from my understanding is that you support, uh, you support American college students, right? Can you tell anybody listening about, you know, how you recruit, who you're bringing on the team? Because from my understanding, it's, it's, it's a unique thing that you guys are doing over there. Sure. Yeah. We, so we have 100%, 100% college students working at the selling factory. So we have, uh, we've had about a little over 600 students now work for us. And these are all full-time students that are working part-time for us. So we uh, primarily are at University of Florida, although we have expanded to University of Georgia and, and some other uh, universities across the Southeast. Uh, we've really built this business model in Gainesville through the UF model, uh, but now we're talking about how we can scale this to other large universities across the country. You and have to have a good football program. <laughs> well, it's arguable that we wouldn't be at UF right now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's really, really those large universities. What we're, what we've found was that the, the having students work for you is scary for a lot of companies. But with my two business partners and the model that we've built, we've really just built this machine where we get applications coming in from students. They go through our process. They go through onboarding training. They get placed on campaign teams. Uh, and, and we'll have probably this year alone 200, maybe more, 250 students uh, work for us. So that's, that's also why we, we don't compete with full cycle outsourced full cycle sales or outsourced full-time SDR teams. Uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of companies out there that are in the outsource space like, like we are, but we're specifically focused on college students. One, because we're passionate about uh, exposing these skills to students while they're in school. So they, they're getting amazing degrees, the theory, but this is a real life application. And the, the really fun part is when our students graduate and we have a placement side of our business as well that we launched last year, but when our students graduate, seeing how they perform, you know, staying in touch with them, hearing from their hiring managers saying, oh my gosh, this student that came from the selling factory, that graduated is not working for Oracle or Gartner or these big companies. They're light years ahead of where everybody else was in their hiring class because they already know how to get on the phone. They don't have call reluctance. They understand how to use Salesforce or HubSpot. They understand how to uh, use phone systems. They understand the selling process. Uh, so that that's really probably the most fulfilling uh, side of the business that we have. But but yeah, it's all part-time college students. That's what we focus on. Well, guys, anybody listening, you know, if you, if you hear how Bradley got into the business, right? He was thrown into the fire during college. He learned skills that changed his life, right? What he learned changed everything. I, I know, right? Like how he dealt with people, business, everything. And he's now replicating that in his business because 
the experience that he had, how it helped him in his career, he sees that there's a need for that, right? And, and honing in, anybody listening, if your internal strategy aligns with supporting students to work up through the ranks that hit the phones, that are not shy in the phones, which is what most buyers look for, right? It really is, right? Because they hire internally, their their SDRs don't hit the phones, they want to be AEs, right? And they're like, we can, you know, we yes, we care about your career path, but we need you to execute first, right? Bradley has scaled that in in the selling factory, right? He's scaled that how to teach students how to cut out of the phones, right? And if you listened carefully, he has added a component of hiring them directly so that after X amount of time, if that student who's now 25, there's a component of, of, of where they can become full-time. Is that what you were saying? Or is that no? No, we, so we have a placement side of our business. So when our, we have like this semester, we have 75 graduates for a spring semester. We have a network of placement partners uh, that we will refer candidates to, to be placed in those organizations. Uh, but we also have our alumni network, which is now, we have 600 students now. So, or 600 graduates, I'm sorry, in our alumni network. So there's people that have been out of school for three, four or five years that are looking for that management role, director role, VP role uh, that we still stay in touch with. And they, because they're part of our community and our alumni network, uh, those are, there's opportunities for us to, uh, to help uh, connect them with companies as well. And that makes sense. It's better. It's a better email versus uh, you went to my college. Can you please donate money? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you went to my college. Yeah. I'll support some other guys. Went to the college, get some jobs, and help the economy. <laughs> uh, this has been this has been awesome. I think this is gonna be the first of many. I hope I hope to see you down May twelfth at the Sales Agency Growth Summit in Medellin. I, I'm gonna be bugging you to come. Uh, for everybody listening who wants to get in contact with you, where can they find you? What's the best place to reach out to you? Is it Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn? Um, website. Where, where are you these days? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, Bradley Gamble. Uh, also, uh, you can go to theSellingFactory.com to check out our website, and uh, and there's a connect with us button on there as well. So those are the two best places. Bradley, the man. I, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person here and, and and working together, helping those college students who are not afraid of the phones, which is a rare thing, right? Uh, thank you again for joining. Everybody who's checking into the Transform Sales Podcast, I appreciate you listening. All of the resources mentioned are going to be listed when we publish this podcast. Have a good day, man. I know you got to you got to train Thanks. some uh, busy <laughs> some busy college students. That's right. Thanks for having me, Amir. I really appreciate it. Anytime.